0: You're listening to Bio from the Bayou, featuring stories and industry insights from experts in the bustling biotech scene of New Orleans.
1: The entire Gulf Coast region is buzzing with expertise and excitement, and we're here to bring you frontline access to this vibrant ecosystem direct from NOAA, the city that provides a little lanyard with everything we do. Where people come for the science and stay for the food,
0: festivals, and resilient culture.
1: I'm Sharon Courtney, Vice President for Government and Community Relations at Tulane University. And
0: I'm Nicole Honoré, Assistant Vice Chancellor for Economic Development and Strategic Initiatives at LSU Health New Orleans.
1: And And this is Bio from the Bayou. Bayou.
2: Welcome back to Bio from the Bayou. My name is Elaine Ham, and I am the Executive President for Tulane School of Medicine. And today's guests are Dr. Lisa Marici. And Dr. James McLaughlin. Lisa is a professor of microbiology, and James is an associate professor of immunology, both at Tulane University School of Medicine. And they are here to talk about their new vaccine adjuvant, what we call T Vant. But before we dive into it, I love asking people's why, because well, you guys know science is hard <laughs> and the whys are what keeps us moving forward. So I'd ask both of you, why vaccines? Why adjuvants? Why do you do what you do and what drives you?
3: It's a good question. And I, I think many of us ask ourselves that question quite a lot. <laughs> I think for me, the, the reason that we chose, I, I sort of happened to adjuvants. I'm an immunologist by training, so I, I like to understand how the immune system works and really how it works in response to infections, viruses, and bacteria. And so I think the reason that, that I ended up landing on, on vaccines is in my attempt to understand how the immune system responds to infectious disease, I realized that we just don't have many or as many good vaccines against a lot of infectious diseases. And the ones that we do have, many of them are not good enough. And so I think I sort of came to this with a with a desire to to understand how infections work, and, and as a result, understand how we can make better vaccines to combat those infections, and ultimately to to improve human health. I think that's why we all are in this, I suspect, those of us that are doing this, mm-hmm. is to make people better and healthier.
2: Same question to you, Lisa, then. what? Why do you do what you do? What drives you?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, James just talked about how he's trained as an immunologist, and my training is in microbiology in particularly infectious diseases. And looking back over the history of of humankind, I think, you know, the impact of infections on human life expectancy, you know, is is not really appreciated by the newer generations who aren't as impacted until the recent SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. They, They weren't really impacted by infectious diseases like our grandparents were or even our ancestors. And, you know, it's 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 fascinating that you know vaccine development and 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 really the introduction of vaccines into the human population you know there's probably been no greater impact on on the increase in human life lifespan than than the development of vaccines other than perhaps access to clean water and so to work in this field it you know it's very inspiring to see your hard work pay off in in the form of a vaccine that could then go on to save lives, and, you know, working with James has been just, you know, such a, a fun experience because together as a microbiologist and, and, and James as an immunologist, we're able to tackle vaccinology from two different angles, from the side of the host as well as the side of the microbe, and, and that's been a lot of fun.
2: Oh, man, you totally stole my line. I was going to say this sounds like the perfect collaboration between an immunologist and a microbiologist. That's great. I think that's why you guys make such a good team. You cover all the bases. No. All right. Well, let's dig into the more science side of things. Let's talk about what a vaccine adjuvant is. I think most people know what vaccines are, but what is a vaccine adjuvant?
3: Okay. So I guess I'll take this one as the card-carrying immunologist <laughs> in the room. So so I, I want to preface this by saying the immune system is pretty clever, Anthropomorphically speaking, and has evolved a variety of mechanisms to be very careful about responding to things that are dangerous. So, bacteria, viruses, funguses, parasites, and has been evolved very carefully to not respond to things that aren't dangerous, like ourselves, right? So, we don't want to respond to our own bodies, but we very much want to respond to things that are dangerous, like infections. So, the immune system has evolved to respond to infections, but if you give a piece of a bacteria or virus. Uh, generally, uh, what we're trying to do is give small pieces to to stimulate an immune response. And the, and the problem is, if you give a small piece of a virus or a bacteria, the immune system has learned that that's not that dangerous. And it's not something it wants to respond to because it's trying not to respond to, to yourself. So it doesn't need to respond to small things like that. So one of the things, one of the ways we can sort of trick the immune system into responding to those pieces of viruses or bacteria is to give this sort of extra... Bit of of an immunostimulatory component that then sort of tricks your immune system into thinking, oh, that piece of that bacteria virus is actually something I do want to respond to, and that is what we call an adjuvant. So that's just something we add to a vaccine to sort of make your immune system want to to make an immune response. And and the really important part of the immune system that I think is is worth thinking about or remembering for these particular vaccines is that the parts of the immune system that we're really interested in are the ones that remember things. And so you all your immune system doesn't remember everything, but two, two major parts of the immune system remember what they see. And again, this is a little bit anthropomorphic, right? We're not, we're not talking about, they don't literally remember they don't have brains, but they undergo a series of, of sort of genetic changes. You know, this is evolutionarily conserved over billions of years so that If you respond to an infection like a virus or a bacteria, the immune system, that part of your immune system, remembers that it's seen that, and then it can respond better and faster the next time, and then it can respond even better and faster the next time. So every time you're exposed to an an infection of the exact same type, so let's suppose you get infected with SARS-CoV-2, for example, and then you get reinfected with SARS-CoV-2, that first exposure, your immune system will remember that. And so it will be better primed, to respond to the next infection. And so what we're trying to do with the vaccine is sort of mimic that response, get that memory going without actually having to make someone infected because you know, that's not the best solution for most, most infections is not to make you infected. It's to sort of trick the immune system into thinking you are. And so one of the ways we can trick the immune system into thinking that is we add this component called an adjuvant. And this really just sort of gives the immune system a little bit of a boost to think, oh, that's something I want to pay attention to. And I want to remember and therefore, that's what I'm going to do. Does that answer the question?
2: Yes. If only I had an adjuvant for all my immunology classes that uh, I took so many years ago. So.
3: <laughs> yes. It doesn't boost that kind of memory, unfortunately.
2: Dang it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, all right. So, Lisa, to you, tell us about the current project of, of TVANT um, and what you guys are working on and really the origins and where you guys are today.
4: So, we are working on an adjuvant at Tulane called T-Vant that was developed in the laboratories of James McLaughlin and and, and myself. And this particular adjuvant is based on what we call bacterial outer membrane vesicles. And outer membrane vesicles are basically just very tiny particles, nanoparticles, that are shed from the surface of a bacterium, and they contain numerous signals that our immune system recognizes as foreign. So James just explained how an adjuvant works. The concept of using outer membrane vesicles was basically our way of utilizing something from the bacterium that could trigger an immune response without actually having to deliver the entire bacterium to someone's body. And so we initially started working with outer membrane vesicles as a vaccine platform we were particularly interested in developing vaccines for biodefense purposes, and we were hoping to develop what are known as non replicating or non living vaccines that could be administered to young, healthy individuals, for example, military service members, that would allow them to go into the field and perform their duties without any sort of reactogenicity, meaning no soreness in the arm, no redness, no fever. And so if we were to inject an entire bacterium or or an entire virus, which is how some of our older vaccine technologies were derived, you would expect those typical side effects from those types of vaccines. And so outer membrane vesicles, are they are potent in their own way, but they don't cause the types of side effects that you see with whole live organisms. And in many years of study of these outer membrane vesicles, James and I were able to understand how they work as a vaccine to provide really great protection against some of these biodefense organisms, and then we were able to use those and harness those as adjuvants with other vaccine antigens. So, in other words, combining the the outer membrane vesicle that we've now called T-Vant with another vaccine antigen to deliver that vaccine antigen and have the body respond to it in a protective manner. And so we're working on a number of projects right now using T-Vant, for example, to improve the acellular pertussis vaccine, to try and improve vaccines against salmonella, chlamydia, SARS-CoV-2, and Lyme disease.
2: So Lisa, you mentioned this is outer membrane vesicles. Something that we've discussed on multiple occasions is that outer membrane vesicles or OMVs have been utilized in the industry before. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, the first OMV-based vaccine was developed for Neisseria meningitis, serogroup B, which is the causative organism of meningitis. And the OMV platform itself, the one for Neisseria meningitis, is developed in a in a or produced in a different way than than T Vant. And we have actually sort of developed the the, the process for producing T Vant at a high yield in a very pure way, in a way that the bacteria make the vesicles for us. And so, although there are OMV-based vaccines that are out there, the way we we derive T-vant is is slightly different. And so, we've had to partner with manufacturing companies to develop the processes and and to establish you know the process development for the manufacture of of the adjuvant. There are also other companies that are utilizing omvs as delivery systems adjuvants and and other vaccine technologies however from what i've seen most of those technologies that are omv based typically require conjugation or tethering of the antigens to the omv in order for the for the platform to be effective um, one of the advantages that we have with with our what we call naturally derived outer membrane vesicles or tvant is that we can simply mix T-Vant with anything, a peptide, a protein, a whole organism, and simply by admixing the two together, we can stimulate an immune response to, to the vaccine antigens. And so that's a very powerful way to, to utilize this adjuvant because it doesn't require any sort of you know, chemical conjugation or complex steps in order to link the vaccine antigens, we simply admix and and inject, and and we get an immune response to, to the to the vaccine.
2: That's great. So so it's easy to make. You're you're able to do simpler mixing versus having to actually conjugate. And you can work across a number of different antigens. What are some additional ways that T is better than currently available adjuvants? and either of you
3: can answer this. I will take that one. I think as I'd mentioned earlier, if you remember that whole idea about immune memory, so there are two parts of that, there are T cells and there are B cells. And so B cells make what we typically think of as the the sort of the robust anti or or vaccine mediated uh, immunity that everyone thinks about called antibodies. So these are things that sort of stick to Viruses and bacteria and, and prevent them from being really infectious or dangerous. Um, and then T cells actually serve some other functions. And they they can, you know, either help B cells be better antibody makers or they can help other other cells be better at what they do, or they can directly kill infected cells, particularly virally infected cells. And so those two arms of the immune response, the T cells and the B cells, are not always engaged with current vaccines or vaccine adjuvants. So the most commonly used adjuvant. In the world and has been used for over 100 years is called alum, um, which is an aluminum hydroxide salt. And it works really well to make a lot of antibodies, but it is pretty bad at inducing a T-cell response. And so for something that requires a T-cell and a B-cell response, which it's turning out is probably almost every infection, we, we think that T-Vant is, is really good at driving all those. And, and we have multiple studies now that are showing that that's true, that we can get a really great antibody and B-cell response, and we can get really great arms of the T-cell response that can become really helpful at making better antibodies or really helpful at killing virally infected cells. And so we feel like this, this is one of the major reasons that T-Vant is so good is that it can really just sort of engage every part of the immune system that's important for preventing infections and every time we give it, you know, we give it once and we give it again, we just get better and better antibodies and T-cells over the, over the course of, of that kind of uh, vaccination route. So most vaccines are given intramuscularly, right? So if you go to the doctor and you, somebody gives you a shot in your arm with a vaccine, flu vaccine or something, that's almost always into your muscle in your arm, right? And so that's the very, very typical way of giving a vaccine. That's because alum, this other adjuvant, really doesn't work particularly well by most other routes. It's really good in in the muscle, but it's pretty terrible at everything else. But if you think about where you get infected, take a breath, you get infected in your lungs, you eat something, you get infected in your gastrointestinal tract. There are other mucosal routes. Female reproductive tract is particularly uh, important for sexually transmitted infections. All of those those surfaces um, we think of are sort of outside the body, and they are receiving infections all the time. And so one of the things that we have really thought about and focused on in in our group, Lisa and I, is, is trying to get the immune response that you want to the place where it's most effective. And the place where it's most effective is really the lungs, the gastrointestinal tract, and the reproductive tract. Where you need those things to happen is where we want to induce an immune response And one of the things that's great about T-Man is you can give it intramuscularly and it works really well. You can give it intradermally, so you can give it in the skin and it works really well. But you can also give it at sites like the nose where it can prevent an infection that might infect your nose or your lungs. Or you can take it orally. You can basically take it like a pill and it will protect your gut. I'm not going to go further than that because I think that's where I'm going to stop on that. Because there are other ways you could do that, but I'm not sure sure anyone would take that one. So that's it. Does that does that answer most of the questions?
2: No, that's great. So oh, what I'm cheap, hearing, too. so that <laughs> you know, antibodies are only half the battle as it relates to vaccines, and that <laughs> just like real estate, location, 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 that can be really important to to help combat the infection at the site of infection, and that tells me that your your technology t vant can help make current vaccines make them stronger, last longer maybe use less antigen in the process and making vaccines safer and, and potentially less expensive, um, being able to reduce that amount of antigen that's actually required, which sounds like a pretty good value proposition. So let's dive into what your latest studies of TVANT have shown you, because you guys have some newer data that I think is really exciting.
4: So Elaine, in, in terms of some of the more recent studies that we have regarding Tivant. We have some very exciting data with SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. As we all know, you know the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Although it, you know, it seems to be, you know, receding somewhat due to both vaccine-mediated immunity and natural immunity across the globe. I think it's pretty evident that although these vaccines that were rolled out and really saved lives from this virus, as the virus continued to mutate. We were made aware that, you know, the vaccines were not able to eliminate uh, viral colonization in the upper respiratory tract, in the nose primarily, or the nasopharynx, as we we like to call it. And as a result, the virus continues to transmit, you know, across the globe from person to person. And so there's a real effort to design vaccines that can establish good immunity in the upper respiratory tract. And so a disease like SARS-CoV-2, if we could improve through the use of an adjuvant, for example, like T-Vant, better immune responses, both antibodies, B cells, and T cells, in the upper respiratory tract, we may be able to eliminate the virus from circulation. And so one of the things that we're doing here at Tulane is we're using T-Vant intranasally as an adjuvant to adjuvant the spike protein from SARS-CoV-2 to see if we can improve the immune responses in the nose of of animals now we're not in clinical trials yet but in but in animal studies if we can improve the immune responses in the upper respiratory tract and it, it does that translate then to elimination of the virus from colonization or replication in the upper respiratory tract so those studies are underway and, and the immune response data looks great and the the challenge uh, studies are pending we will have that data in a few weeks but one of the reasons that we're hopeful about uh, about that that possibility of of protecting against SARS-CoV-2 is we have some recent data through a collaboration with Todd Merkel at the FDA where we adjuvanted the acellular pertussis vaccine with T-Vant and we gave that formulation either intranasally or intramuscularly to infant baboons. So Dr. Todd Merkel at the FDA has shown that the infant baboon is an is a excellent model of, of basically a pediatric pertussis. And so the baboons can develop disease. They they develop the whoop, as it's known, that that whooping cough, and they can transmit the bacterium from one baboon to another. So we we just talked about SARS-CoV-2, a virus that's still spreading. Well, Bordetella pertussis is a bacterium that still spreads across the globe, and that is because the acellular pertussis vaccine does not appear to eliminate carriage of the organism in vaccinated individuals. And so people who aren't vaccinated, such as young infants, can still come down with the disease and can die of the disease. And so what we did in this study is tested whether T-Vant could improve the immune response to the vaccine and, and possibly eliminate carriage of the bacterium in the upper respiratory tract or the nose of these baboons. And we just got our results, and the data looks fantastic. The intramuscular and intranasal administrations of T-Vant with acellular pertussis were both able to clear the organism from the upper respiratory tract of the baboons and protected them from disease and appeared to do so better than the acellular pertussis vaccine on its own and possibly even better than the whole cell pertussis vaccine. So this is really, really exciting data, and we're hoping that we can advance these studies further and and show people the true potential of something like T-Vant and also the power of perhaps intranasal immunization.
2: That's fantastic. I mean, I think what people don't really quite understand is that that sterilizing immunity or the, preventing the actual transmission of diseases is a, is a really unique <laughs> and very hard to achieve for most vaccines. Most vaccines are, are excellent at preventing death and preventing very severe and, and serious disease, but most don't necessarily prevent the actual transmission of the disease. and as we see with looping cough, it can be so incredibly detrimental, especially to kids that haven't aren't able to get the vaccine yet and 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 so being able to achieve elimination of a pathogen before you know it gets transmitted that's that's really powerful in terms of new vaccine technology. So that's really exciting. Congrats on that data. That's incredible.
4: Thank you. Well, that
2: kind of leads me to the next step of, you know, talking about collaborations, both of you have participated in some partnering meetings with our office. What did you? What did you like about it? What did you hate about it? What surprised you the most? Because these these partnering meetings are are this intersection of of science and and industry and business and and finding ways to take what you guys are doing from Tulane University and get it into the hands of people that need it. So, what did you guys think? I'll start, Lisa, with you, and then James.
4: Yeah, it's a great question, you know, because James and I are true academics and and we've been brought up through academia, we've been in academia our whole life and we don't typically think about transforming our inventions in the laboratory into, you know, something that can be used in the clinic or, you know, in the public realm to save lives. And so as you experience success with something that you've developed, you sort of run into that, right? That you have to you have to move forward, you have to keep going. And and how do you do that? And so I think, you know, through the business development office, we've been able to identify good partners. In particular, we've had some really great help and success with finding manufacturing partners. So folks like Catalent and and now Scorpius Biologics who have worked with us to, you know, basically develop these processes for the adjuvant production and and you know demonstrate reproducibility and consistency from batch to batch. They've also, you know, helped us identify potential groups that can license the technology because as academics we can only take it so far. We're going to need people to 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 move the the technology into clinical trials and 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 hopefully eventual licensure. So yeah, it's been a real learning curve for us, but it's but it's fun. Great, James.
3: I don't know that I have a huge amount to add. I I really agree with Lisa on the the fact that, and I wish this was not true, but that as academics, we tend to really get pushed into not thinking about the things that we study and love and want to understand as potentially having marketable value because that's not academic, right? That's not a (laughs) thing that you, you think about because that's not really true learning, but I would, I would disagree with that. And I think hopefully this is shifting in in academia to to start to maybe you know thanks to to you your office to maybe start thinking about okay it's okay and wonderful to understand how these things work and it's okay and wonderful to to pursue this just for the knowledge of it but there's no reason that we can't parlay that into into helping Tulane and ourselves and also human health i mean i think all of those things can oh, yeah. can be part and parcel of the same uh, pursuit and and i would love to kind of get a lot of academics out of this mindset of of you know academic pursuit for the love of pursuit only but that's I maybe mean, that's a different podcast discussion
2: <laughs> well as scientists yeah. even in industry the goal is, is the perpetuation of knowledge right so and and taking what you guys do and moving it into and down the road and, tr- and making it a product is another form of that so i love that all right so lisa where do you think the vaccine industry is headed in general
4: I think there's been a lot of interest in media coverage of the messenger RNA vaccines and so I think you know if you were to ask the the general you know lay public individual you know what's the future of vaccinology they might they might say messenger RNA vaccines and and I certainly think that those have proved their worth in in a pandemic you know these were meant to be what we call plug and play vaccine technologies so technologies that you can rapidly adapt to some type of emerging threat like a pandemic virus, and and they've certainly proved their worth in in that application. I'm not, you know, convinced that messenger RNA vaccines are going to be the solution to all infectious diseases or even, you know, necessarily cancer vaccines, although they're certainly being applied to, to, to preventing cancer and treating cancer. I think we're going to see a lot of movement towards safer vaccines, particularly with, you know, the vaccine hesitancy and vaccine misinformation that we're experiencing now as a society. And so anyone that's, you know, trying to develop a vaccine and market a vaccine is going to be tasked with convincing the public that it's safe and effective. And, you know, so it's on us, it's our responsibility to demonstrate that and to be transparent and to show that vaccines are some of the safest inventions that, that you know, we've ever introduced into the human body and that, you know, side effects are, are expected with, with anything, any drug, any biologic, any, any implant, any medical intervention whatsoever, and vaccines are no different. But we have the power, we have the ability to make safer, longer-lasting vaccines, and we, and we just need to educate the public about the vaccine technologies so that they are accepted and they are, they are embraced.
2: Fantastic. So it's back to being a scientist of, of of how do you move knowledge forward, and, and that means to how do you get this to the public and and, have, and and show them that not only could it potentially save lives, but it's also safe. Okay, last question: Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you that you want people to know?
3: So I don't know that I I would say yes necessarily, but <laughs> I, I want to build a little bit on what, what Lisa said, and I think it's incumbent upon us as scientists to be probably better communicators about all of the things that Lisa mentioned, the efficacy of vaccines, how, how good they are at what they do, how they have basically in some cases eradicated horrible diseases from the face of the earth. And also to be honest about the things that might happen if you take a vaccine and you get sick and that happens. And, and I think, Sometimes we try to, maybe not try to, but we, we don't, we aren't as transparent about that as we should be. And I, I also would add, I think, and I talk about this a lot with medical students and graduate students when I teach them, is that I think we're, we're something of a victim of our own success in a lot of ways. And, and that circles back around to the beginning of when Lisa said, you know, we haven't had to experience things like smallpox or polio, but my dad had polio, right? And, and it did some damage to the nerves in his leg. And, and he still has sort of the side effects from that. We are so good at what we've done with vaccines that nobody really parents, particularly today have never seen some of these diseases and they are devastating diseases. And, and you know, not that I would ever wish upon anyone to have polio or smallpox or diphtheria, but I feel like, you know, we, we we're so good at what we've done that, that, you know, people haven't had to experience how bad that can be in comparison to the, to the rare side effects that come with vaccines. I would like to f- sort of find a way to, to navigate that with, with folks who are uncomfortable with it. And, and I think that's the last thing I'll leave with.
2: Yeah, we can be victims of our own success. And, and it's important to continue so educating much. and, and it's important to continue the research and finding ways to make vaccines safer and effective and longer lasting. And that's where you guys come in and brings us full circle of, of the advantages of T-Vant and the work that you guys are doing at Tulane School of Medicine. So guys, thank you so much. We we look forward to hearing more about T-Vant in the future. I look forward to receiving it one day, internasally, hopefully, that would be great. No more having to go to the doctor to get a shot. It'd be nice to have an intranasal vaccine. Well, we have Lisa and James's contact information and some relevant links posted in our show notes. Make sure you check them out to learn more about their research into the KeyVant adjuvant.
3: Thank you.
4: Thanks, Elaine.
0: Thanks for joining us for Bayou from the Bayou, and we hope you'll join us again.
1: If you'd like to learn more about the emerging biotech scene in New Orleans and the Gulf Coast region, visit us at biofromthebayou.com, where we have more info on who we are, biotech in the Gulf South, and the industry events we'll be attending where you can meet with us in person.
0: And we'd be remiss if we didn't give a special thanks to the Accelerator Network for providing funding for this podcast. Learn more about them on our website in the show notes.
1: We'll catch you on our next episode of Bio from the Bayou.